The story of coal, beauty and the beast. Coal is made up of carbon. It comes from millennia of living things, composting on the floor of the forest. The carbon that makes it up, in fact, is a singular element. It is the only element that can bind itself in a long, stable chains without a great expense of energy. And for life on Earth, the only one we know so far, precisely long chains are required. So let us speak of one atom of carbon and trace its life. This particular atom, accompanied by its two satellites of oxygen, making up carbon dioxide, was borne by the wind in 1848, the year that Marx and Engels wrote the Communist Manifesto, and when Europe was alight with revolution. Our friend the carbon atom travelled along a row of vines and had the good fortune to brush against a leaf, penetrate it, and be nailed there by a ray of sunlight. The chemistry to follow is not fully understood, but it was invented by two or three billion years ago by our silent sisters, the plants, which do not experiment and do not discuss and whose temperature is identical to that of the environment in which they live. From this photosynthesis came the plants and the leaves that fell to the forest floor and over millions of years became the coal that resides in such abundance throughout Queensland. Coal itself is a beautiful mineral. It is a black jewel with lustrous edges, a compressed rock made from millions of years of organic matter being squashed under the weight of earth above it. Coal is a beauty, but it is also a beast. As a beauty, it can be woven into carbon fibre to make light and tensile fabric, to build lighter and stronger planes, boats, buildings of great strength, but also incredibly light. Why is it so? As I was saying, it comes down to organic chemistry and that of carbon. Carbon binds to carbon in a simple strong bond. Carbon is light. It has an atomic number of between 12 and 14, whereas its competitor in the area of electricity generation, uranium, has an atomic number of 235. Uranium is a more complex and volatile molecule. It is radioactive. Carbon can also be radioactive, but less so. The one thing that carbon or coal has over uranium or yellow cake is its ability to combine with oxygen in the air and to produce heat. It is this heat that produces steam that drives the turbines in the coal-fired power stations of the world. Recently India ran out of power. Great cities like Delhi containing millions of people, more than the entire population of Australia. This great city came to a halt. People were stuck in trains in tunnels and only the rich people had electricity because they fired up diesel generators to replace the, the electricity that had, had not been generated. And why was this? Because there was not enough coal. But India is rich in coal. Why did they run out? Because of corruption of Indian companies who traded their coal allocation to other companies, for example, in China. So the coal that was allocated to them by the state-owned Coal India, which was supposed to be used for generating power for Delhi, for example, that coal just went to China. So they didn't have enough power to supply those cities. Of course, many people in India go without power every day. 400 million people are destitute and don't have access to power. So what does that mean for the trade between India and Queensland coal companies? The Adani Corporation, a huge multinational, 
India-based, it's going to be obtaining more coal from Queensland and supply enough for both coal-fired power stations and for the huge steel smelters that they have in India. Well, that's the theory anyway. So how, how do we get here? How did we become so dependent on coal? Before the Raj, before the British East India Trading Company, before shooting an elephant in the George Orwell book, energy was produced by water, wind and biomass. The Greeks and Romans built their houses facing south in the northern hemisphere to take advantage of winter sun. The Romans milled their flour using running water in the stream to drive the stone mill to grind the wheat. They used wind and ore to propel their boats. Power was largely sustainable. Then came the Industrial Revolution in England, where the burning of coal and fossil fuels enabled machines to drive dark satanic mills and to concentrate the economic output of industry. Lancashire, where my ancestors came from, was one of many coal fields of Britain, along with Northumberland, Durham, Yorkshire, and don't forget the mines of South Wales, where every boy was expected to go down pit. In 1928, the number of miners in England and Wales was 900,000. British manufacturing took 70 million tonnes of coal a year off the backs of these workers. Households took 40 million tonnes and the gas works took 14 million tonnes. Workers learnt to organise in coal mines because it was taking your life in your hands to go down pit. If a cave, cave in didn't get you or you didn't get taken in a flood or you didn't get an ex explosion because of the gases that are down there then the coal dust and black lung that came from it would get you in the end. Now William Blake, in his poetry book, Songs of Experience, Blake, to give you an idea, was born in 1757, very early in the industrial process of, of England. He was an, an engraver, a poet and mystic. And he wrote a poem, Jerusalem, which preempted what was going to happen in England. And did those feet in ancient time walk upon England's mountains green? And was the holy Lamb of God on England's pleasant pastures seen? And did the countenance divine shine forth upon our clouded hills? And was Jerusalem builded here among these dark satanic mills? Blake expanded on this in the poem The Tiger. And what shoulder and what art could twist the sinews of thy heart? And when thy heart began to beat, what dread hand and what dread feet? What the hammer, what the chain, in what furnace was thy brain? What the anvil, what dread grasp dare its deadly terrors clasp? There are those who say we would not have got so far without coal and oil, that fossil fuels made great leaps forward in human civilization. We'll never know what might have been if we'd stuck with wind, water and biomass of the Greeks, Romans and Chinese. Perhaps industry would have developed on sustainable lines, where coal was not burnt for steam but made into carbon fibre. All of this is speculation. We do know this, however, that George Orwell's book, The Road to Wigan Pier, would not have been necessary. It would not have found its way into print. The Road to Wigan Pier when you have finally got there, that is to the coalface, you crawl through the last line of pit props and see opposite you a shiny black wall three or four feet high. This is the coalface. Overhead is the smooth ceiling made by the rock from which the coal has been cut. Underneath 
is the rock again, so that the gallery you're in is only as high as the ledge of coal itself, probably not much more than a yard. The first impression of all, overmastering everything else for a while, is the frightful, deafening din from the conveyor belt which carries the coal away. You cannot see very far because the fog of coal dust throws back the beam of your lamp, but you can see on either side of you the line of half-naked kneeling men, one to every four or five yards, driving their shovels under the fallen coal and flinging it swiftly over their left shoulders. They are feeding it onto the conveyor belt, a moving rubber belt a couple of feet wide which runs a yard or two behind them. Down this belt a glittering river of coal races constantly. In a big mind it carries away several tons of coal every minute. It bears it off to some place in the main roads where it is shot into tubs holding half a ton and thence dragged to the cages and hoisted to the outer air. Emile Zola, in his book Germinal, describes how in the northern parts of France even greater calamities faced the miners. At the bottom of the shaft the abandoned wretches were yelling with terror. The water now came up to their hips. The noise of the torrent dazed them. The final falling in of the tubbing sounded like the last crack of doom, and their bewilderment was completed by the neighing of the horses, shut up in the stable, the terrible, unforgettable death cry of an animal that is being slaughtered. Mook had to go to Bataille. The old horse was there trembling, with its dilated eye fixed on this water, which was constantly rising. The pit, the pit eye was rapidly filling. The greenish flood slowly enlarged under the red gleam of the three lamps which were still burning under the roof. And suddenly, when he felt this ice soaking his coat, he set out in a furious gallop and was engulfed and lost at the end of one of the haulage galleries. Then there was a general rush. The men followed the beast. Nothing more to be done in this damned hole, sh shouted Mook. We must try at Recolat. The idea that they might get out by the old neighbouring pit if they arrived before the passage was cut off now carried them away. The twenty hustled one another on as and went in a single file holding their lamps in the air so that the water should not extinguish them. Fortunately, the gallery rose with an imper imperceptible slope and they proceeded for 200 metres, struggling against the flood, which was not now gaining on them. Sleeping beliefs reawakening in these distraught, distracted souls, they invoked the earth, for it was the earth that was avenging herself, discharging the blood from the vein because they had cut one of her arteries. An old man stammered, forgotten prayers, bending his thumbs backwards to appease the evil spirits of the mine. Coal and other fossil fuels were closely tied to the kind of world we have inherited from the industrialists of northern England. They came and set up on Aboriginal land here in Queensland and the rest of Australia. But this is where the coal is in Queensland. When you simplify it all down, the coal of this economy, of this mindset, has to find its way to the sea. This is the economy of Queensland that determines in part how the Federal Reserve sets interest rates for our mortgages, how our bank accounts, for example, have their interest rates changed every few months. It is the coal and other minerals that get dragged in those naked rail trucks and prowl through our backyards at night to the huge ships that gulp them up, transport the black jewel to Indian smelters 
and coal-fired power stations, to feed Delhi, Calcutta and Mumbai, Beijing and Tokyo with vast columns of light lighting up their great cities.